You better you better not boil one of my pets, dude. Yeah. Rob's entire life has been leading to this. All right, listeners, welcome. We're back. It's been a while. We have a new season of a free podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my good friends, Joe and Duff. All right. I'm ready. Let's let's get horny. <laughs> Can the careless whisper sax riff just be playing the entire episode on repeat in the background? Well, you know, it's been it's been a really long time, guys, since we've done a free podcast episode we've been recording. Um Forrest Gump, which is uh, Forrest Gump Minute, which is done, and, and we've done our patrons every month, Patreons once a month. But I just want to make sure, uh, now that we're doing this, are we are we all ready to acknowledge our responsibility? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I am, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, uh, all right. Well, we, we got to start acknowledging our responsibility, which is the, um, <laughs> the, the a, morale. A cra- <laughs> Maybe of this movie, Fatal Attraction, that we're going to talk about. But the season is erotic thrillers, and we try to, like, take turns, the three of us, on, like, what we do for seasons. And I was like, listen, <laughs> I really want to do a season of erotic thrillers. And um, I I know you, you uh, co-hosts and listeners, are probably expecting me to explain why, and I can't explain it. I just enjoy them, and I hope my joy of erotic thrillers comes through on this episode and other season and I other mean, episodes. You can explain it, but you no, won't. It's, no, it's it's more than that. It's more than it's more it's more than just the sex. It's 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 there's just you, there's just something delightfully entertaining about these things. I think it's because <laughs> I think it's because for a long time, Rob's. Rob's internet blocked IMDb, so the only way he could learn about movies was from Mr. Skin. <laughs> I mean, okay, let's 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 let's. We don't have to d- dive into into. Look, my... we, we all we all have our interests. It's, uh, it's you're the only. I think you're the only person left now that like like you know Cinemax isn't a thing that is really into the erotic thriller genre. Well, here's here's where I have to reveal something. I know a lot okay. about erotic thrillers too, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I don't think I've really voiced this, but I've seen a lot of them. Like, I, I kind of just like looked up, um, like a, just a Google search of like erotic thrillers just to remind myself, and like some of the most famous ones I have, like I hadn't seen Fatal Attraction, and mm-hmm. we can get into this, but I don't. This is not a very erotic erotic thriller, but that's beside the point. Mm-hmm. It's not beside the point, but it's a point we'll address later, I'm sure. But some of the lesser-known ones, oh boy. <laughs> Did I sneak rent those? Just just kind of rent three movies, and you just toss in a VHS in the middle? I'll just put Jade in the between here. Yeah, hope, your mo- hope my mom doesn't pay too much attention, and the cl- video store clerk doesn't say anything. <laughs> I did get caught a few times. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Um... All right, so so Fatal Attraction. The reason I want to start with this one is, in my mind, this is sort of the. There's a lot of like important things inside of Fatal Attraction that are, is going to come up, and I think it sort of popularizes some of the themes that 
exist inside of erotic thrillers. And also, like, I think we need to just talk about this. This movie, it was like a massive hit. It, yeah, I mean, it, it made, in 1987 dollars, what would be considered a massive hit, like, today. Yeah. It, yeah. I, and I kind of came into this, I hadn't seen this, I knew that this was kind of, <clears throat> obviously, like, uh, iconic touchstone movie. I did not realize that this was the number three domestic movie of the year and the number mm-hmm. one worldwide movie of the year. And the got world for the, six Oscars. The world got <laughs> horned in 1987. <laughs> something was wrong. Something was wrong with us back then. This, well, I mean, th- th- but th- I do. I, I, I to your point though, a movie like this could never be that big of a hit now. No, no. This, no. yeah. At best, this would have a limited run, and yeah, then it would make it up in streaming or something. But just, and, just a, a a handful of movies that this outgrossed: The Untouchables, uh, Lethal Weapon, Predator. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Uh, RoboCop. RoboCop. Um, the number one movie of the, this is the domestic number one movie of the year was Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, mm. Number two, also kind of weird that wouldn't happen today, Platoon. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is like a, a another discussion that, you know, but I mean, I think if you look at, it's fascinating if you look at like 1987's top 20 movies or whatever in box office and you look at 2019's, um, there are a lot of adult movies. And when I say adult movies, I mean like movies made for adults in mind in 1987 that yeah. are pretty much outside of like maybe two or three movies missing from the 2019 list. No doubt. Uh, yeah. Which, where, I mean, I think where are the three men and a babies, everyone? That, that was the number <laughs> five movie of the year. <laughs> um, and like I said, as I, I mentioned, this movie got nominated for best picture, best director, best adapted <sighs> screenplay, best actress, best supporting actress and best editing. Yeah, this was an awards bait movie. This was like a movie that like, you know, suburban moms would see in the paper like, oh, that fatal attraction's a big deal. Let's go see that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I already knew like the key like moment in this movie is, is like every like you don't everyone knows what happens in yeah, the bathroom, I, you know? I felt like I'd seen this movie. Yeah, With, oh, and it's okay. amazing, like and I, I've never even seen a second of it before. Uh, and see, I and it's it's just weird to me, like how I you know, and it's not like I was older when it came out. I was five when it came out. Yeah, it has staying yeah. power in our psyches for some reason. So so for anyone who hasn't seen this movie, which I mean, we can't say anything bad about that because we hadn't either, shockingly. But uh, it it is uh, it is wonderful. Um, yeah. <laughs> Michael Douglas as Dan, who is an attorney in Manhattan. And he's got a young daughter, and he's got a wife, and he seems to be happily married. And then his, you know, his wife and his kid go, you know, away for the weekend for a trip for a couple days, and uh, he meets shenanigans a- when the cat's away. <laughs> yeah. the, the Douglas will play. <laughs> so can I can I at- interject briefly? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I the only one that didn't realize it was a girl until they said it was a girl? No, I uh, I no. had issues with that as well because at first I thought he had two kids because because they showed you know who turns out to be a girl and they showed her, they showed her but I thought it was a he and then later on it's like oh blah 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 the girl I'm like oh they have another kid <laughs> what's going on uh, you know who that I looked up that actress who plays that little girl plays another child in a movie you both are familiar with 
it is Rui Sue and Chris's vacation. Oh. <laughs> what a what a stretch for that actress. She kind of um, she kind of has the uh, Stranger Things eleven haircut going on, which yeah. ma- makes her a little more androgynous. I mean, I'm not she, trying to rip on her or anything. No, just, I mean, like, it, it I mean, just was a little surprised. There are lots of kids who at age six can, you know, could pass for whatever gender, but it it was shocking because nowadays they would really play it up that she's a girl. Like, yeah. it would be very obvious. So the kid, you know, the wife and the kid are away, and um, Dan meets this woman named Alex, played by, played by Glenn Close, famously played by Glenn Close, and they start... <laughs> And what well, do you want to say? An affair? They have a one night stand. That's an affair, Rob. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Well, okay. Well, see. Okay. I don't know. I was wondering I, if it I really don't, is. I don't. I, I've never interpreted affair. Affair implies relationship to me. I guess. I agree. I agree, I, Joe. I always just thought affair was uh, hanky panky of any type. Of any type. Yeah. That's you a, know, that's a moment of infidelity. Oh. Well, We'll agree to disagree. But no. anyway, but it is kind of more than a one night stand because he d- goes home and then goes back to her. He yes, gets lured so she, back. She in. does. She yes. Well, so so um, a weekend fling. We could call it a weekend fling. She meets his a dog. Things fling. get serious. Um, and things do get serious. And that's what's interesting about this movie is the first like half hour of this movie is very just like, hey, look at these two people. They're gonna have sex. They're having sex now. <laughs> like there's. There's, it's like this movie kind of like turns starts as one thing and turns into something totally different by the end. Um, and obviously, I don't want to like get into all the things, but essentially, she gets a little bit obsessed with him and um, <laughs> a little <laughs> escalates her behavior. In fact, I wanted to kind of list down the ways that it escalated. Cause I, I just made a list of this, right? So uh, to um, quote Ron Burgundy, it escalates quickly. <laughs> yeah. She contacts them again. They get back together again. Everything seems fine. Except when he goes to leave, she won't let him leave. Like she has a literal fit about him leaving. <laughs> it like rips his shirt when he tries to put it on. Yep. And then she, my, one of my he favorite was, moments. So I, I'm going to say he does try to just sneak off and leave a note, which is there's debate. I mean, it's so, not the worst thing, but come on, man. Here's the thing I'm going to say. Now, here's the thing we've talked about as anyone who listens to this podcast. We're, we are not the three people to talk to about this stuff. We are not the experts. However, I have a friend of mine who I would say was the expert. And, uh, he, Is this the relationship he, he, expert? Nope. 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 Not him. Absolutely not. And uh, he told me the story once, and... It shows you the coldness of Dan and the coldness of people in this situation sometimes. But he talked about like you know he was out you know met this woman and they he went they went back to her place and then uh, they you know the hanky panky happened and then he just like got up and started getting dressed to leave and she was pretty upset about it and wanted him to stay and he just said this is how this works. <laughs> <laughs> And then grabbed himself and left. And, like, I couldn't stop thinking about that story when I watched Michael Douglas just be like, well, I'm, I'm leaving now. Well, I – he – okay. I do know how he should have handled this. And I'm not going to say I've done this. Go on. <laughs> but he has a built-in excuse to leave. He has a dog mm-hmm. at home. 
True. Mm. So like what what kind of and, and obviously we know her because we've seen the whole movie so she, this wouldn't have worked but an no. ast- with, with a stable person all he would have had to say is like I need to go home my dog's been in my apartment for 8 hours I need to take yeah. so, him outside so yeah I had this thought and I think Joe had the same thought as well is when Michael Douglas finally comes home I was thinking there's going to be dog urine and probably dog crap everywhere because he's been gone a while and that was a good dog it was a good yeah. dog. this is one of my favorite movie dogs ever it's so friendly underrated underrated dog yeah guys i going into this movie i knew what happened to the rabbit and i was real afraid that something was going to happen to that dog so so let me just talk like, about I, this I, I, that that was the only thing that i was suspenseful about because i knew <laughs> i knew all the beats of this movie i'm like please please don't let anything happen to that good that good yellow lab so let's talk about this escalates she doesn't want him to leave and then she tells him she, she essentially says like i'd respect you more if you told me to f off and left and then he does and that does not work <laughs> the perfect trap well the perfect trap happens the next step i'd, I'd where say she he calls her, her bluff wrist. but nothing works out for him <laughs> when she cuts her wrist from behind her behind her back and then starts making out with them as blood is just pouring out of her wrists are we gonna come back oh and talk God. about the sex scenes later yes okay, we will good. okay they're, um, hor- horrific they're weird um then she shows up at the off at his office with opera tickets she's got the flickering light when he doesn't show up to do the operating the opera, the opera tickets uh calls <laughs> his house at 2 a.m tells him that she's pregnant um <laughs> That that's the most ridiculous but the one of all of these things, I think. Yeah, the the timeline of this movie isn't quite clear because I was like, when Wait. we had sex two weeks ago, I'm pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even two weeks, right? Uh, it's been like well, a, it's been like a week at best. <laughs> yeah, the whole thing feels like it takes place over like a week or two, but maybe it's longer. Mm, I don't think so. I think this entire thing feels like it's in the span of a month or two at most. Yeah. So um, I I wanted to just say one thing uh, because you mentioned the opera. It's always funny to me when uh, conservatives usually will rail about you know hoity-toity Hollywood and how things used to be better. This is used, this is the most like upper crust bourgeois movie ever. It's like this oh, young. Yeah. It's like this lawyer and his wife living in this nice um, without in this nice apartment if you take glenn close out of the equation the biggest problem is that like oh i don't want to move to this gorgeous house in the country (laughs) yes so this that's actually a a great point uh duff i uh when i was originally having the idea of and america ate it up america could not get enough of this like new york city upper crust couple and their bourgeois problems this is a this is another secret reason why i love I love erotic thrillers because it is like it. They are such a picture in time of the year they were made, and also like there's this like sense of like fashion and even like real estate, <laughs> and like the, these like careers that people have. Like I mean, this is this is eighties yuppie, like yuppies yeah. all over. I this mean, that's is what this is. Has has any industry? Well, I'm sure there's. I'm sure you'll come up with some, but one of the most one of the biggest disparities between the actual career path and how movies present it is publishing <laughs> like oh yeah <laughs> like well in, people bought books back then tough though true but in movies like publishing it's always 
it's like Mad Men. It's like there's cocaine. <laughs> just like if you made a movie in the eighties and it was in New York and you wanted to have like a fancy rich character, it's like, oh, they're in publishing. Yeah. That's um yeah. so so Alex continues her uh activities. She uh, activities. meets his wife his wife to rent the apartment that they have. Tricks her. Which is just a, in a, a delightful scene she vandalizes his car with acid <laughs> that was my favorite one <laughs> she she leaves him an incredible tape of her just like monologuing about him uh joe and then on, most... for, joe on forrest got minute when we talked about embarrassing breakup stories i imagine that that mix you made is like this <laughs> yeah, it, it's like it's like it'll have like two or three songs and then a, then like a spoken 90 interlude. seconds of spoken word just oh yeah <laughs> um and and then uh and then famously she takes she takes the child's dead bunny kills it and boils it <laughs> in their house which by the way guys fun fact the term bunny boiler is a is in the dictionary from this movie, which means a woman who acts vengefully after having been spurned by her lover. Hmm. Yeah, I never heard that before. So, uh, Bunny Boiler came from this movie. <laughs> Is it actually and in then, the dictionary? Yeah. And and then so it's kind of like real... like the Bechdel test, where that's except it's a different trope or plot element. Um and and also, um, she takes the child <laughs> she literally just kidnaps the child from school takes her to a, a amusement park does bring her back seemed fun seemed like yeah. pretty, pretty good day yep and then uh we'll get to the ending but things continue to um to intensify let's say um you i mentioned earlier duff about how how like this life that they live and before we started this project, I listened to a podcast with Wesley Morris on it, uh, and he loves erotic thrillers as well. And he his definition of an erotic thriller is a movie that it doesn't – there is no plot if you remove the sex. And that's like – this is another example of that because if you remove this whole thing that happened with them and having sex and everything that happened because of it, all it is is a rich couple – should they move to the suburbs or not? Okay. They so, decide to. So this actually helps because the other day I think I I asked you and you didn't reply, uh, is Ghost an erotic thriller? And the answer would be no. Yeah. I would say no because the sex happens, but it's not part of the it is story. Not, it is not a driver of the plot. No. No. So I think, I mean, we'll see as we go through this these different movies if this kind of – definition fits but it makes sense to me um and uh i kind of want to talk about some of the tropes that we've already kind of discussed but that are in in this movie that i love first off we gotta you know uh there's the sex we gotta talk about the sex joe i know this is a topic near and dear at your heart (laughs) (laughs) sex I don't know. You said you wanted to talk about it, so that's the best way I could think okay. to segue over so, to it. So, in addition to bunny boiler, is sink sex in the dictionary? <laughs> that was well, so the... weird. <laughs> so weird. But I wondered if it's there for a reason because the sink ends up being pretty important throughout this movie. Yeah, I kind of thought of that too, but still weird. Like very weird. Because so to, to let the viewers know, 
Michael Douglas <laughs> is railing her on the kitchen counter. <laughs> And yep. like she somehow bumps the faucet and the and the bumps the faucet handle and the water starts running in the kitchen. Yep. <laughs> so she just starts like splashing water on him. They just go. They just go with it. <laughs> He's just like thrusting into her. Then she just splashes water on, like reaching back awkwardly behind her, and then she rubs water all over her her breasts <laughs> and makes him lick it off. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that it's thing comes not back later. sexy at all. <laughs> Well, okay, so here's the question. I'm it, gonna It's bizarre. I'm gonna it is bizarre. Um But it's not bizarre in a way that's like, oh, this she's freaky. Like if she like poured candle wax on him or something, like that would show like oh she's got some edge to her, but it's not maybe like it's, you can see how that's erotic. But like maybe it's, taking dishwater and <laughs> tossing it at him. <laughs> maybe it's not meant to be erotic. Maybe it's meant for like the like I mean, because I'm sure we probably feel the same way Michael Douglas does at that point, you know, because imagine you never you never knew anything about this movie and you you know, you watch this movie and the places it goes. You'd be like, oh, that was kind of weird. So and then you're like, I wonder what that means. <laughs> well, the, the you're in for th- it. The last thing I'll say is that, you know, obviously they want to make it kinky, but they got back to her apartment and they decide, like, no, we're not going to do it in any of these other comfortable places. <laughs> we're we're going to do it in what's the room in the house with the most pointy and jagged objects? Ah, the kitchen. <laughs> hey, can I you find like... me the dirtiest surface to set you on? Well, not the toilet. That's ridiculous. Yeah. How about the kitchen counter? Now we're talking. You didn't make chicken recently, did you? Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so that the other, the other sex scene I remember in this movie is the elevator, which is played as a bit of a... Uh, 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 I'm guess this is a uh, play in words, but a bit of a gag, huh, guys? Oh, <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> when uh, when she's uh, when she's with them, and someone walks by, and they stop the elevator, and his like is just yeah. Those are like those are, like also, really also, the only. Alex lives in uh, the, the Foot Clan's district. hideout from the first Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> She bought it off of Gene Hackman's character in the conversation. Yeah, she lives... To be fair, she has a very nice apartment, but it's inside this weird, almost dilapidated, like, art district, but really scummy. Yeah, I think she's in the meatpacking district. (laughs) (laughs) In New York. But she's... But her apartment is very nice, and she's really rich. Why... Okay, never mind. Yeah, so... Does not compute. I mean, okay. So first off, generally, I agree. The giant size for apartment doesn't doesn't make sense. Um, it never does in these movies. Um, but I mean, the meatpacking district at this point, which I think is kind of what's hinted at the fact that it's clearly the meatpacking district because we see people with meat, um, like raw meat outside her apartment. She brings, but then meat also, home too. <laughs> <laughs> she has to clean it up off with the sink when she brings it in. That's why she did that. Um, and, and she's then, just soaking like, a pan that she browned ground beef in. <laughs> God, that's so gross. <laughs> and then she, uh, right after they have sex, they go they go out dancing and stuff. And so, like at this point, like eighties uh, meatpacking district had started sort of changing with like clubs and stuff. And you sort of had like a BDSM scene and stuff in New York as there as well. They go to so, a spicy nightclub. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's like I think that's what it's like hinting at. I'm probably reading too far into all of this. Um, this is but, one. Of, this is one of the few movies about New York pre 1990 where New York doesn't look like hell on earth. 
Yeah, that's a really good <laughs> sure. point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple other tropes that I think we need to talk about that this establishes. Um, I mentioned real estate. You have like, even though she's like in this apartment that from the outside is all like dilapidated and awful, you go in, it's like these beautiful white, huge, huge New York City apartment for one. Um, you have typically only upper class people. Obviously, they're white. These are movies where people drink wine, not beer. Like this is yeah. this, this is a grab grab your glass of wine kind yeah, of. They movie. go out for a drink in like the middle of the afternoon, and they get glasses of wine. And I'm like, man, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I sounds nice though too, right? Oh yeah, but um, like I mentioned, these are all like moment in time movies as well. Um, and also like we have to mention this. Uh, Michael Douglas's butt often in these. Oh yeah, yeah. dude. <laughs> all it took, I'd say, from like 1980, the mid 80s through like the mid to late 90s, to get Michael Douglas to sign the dotted line, he just asked one question: Do I get to be horny in it? <laughs> that's that's all it took. If you said yes, he signed. There's yeah. so could many. I, yep. Could I? Could is my butt going to be shown? I'd like it to be shown. Yes, Michael. Yes, we will. And I respect you. I mean, don't get me wrong. I I respect it big time. It's awesome. Live your best life. You do you. (laughs) Um, So the other reason I want to do this movie is it has two of the erotic thriller goats. And that would be Michael Douglas, who we've already um, mentioned. But like, as Joe says, he's in all sorts of these movies. And I would say probably the two biggest ones being this and um, Basic Instinct. And, um, you know, it's just, you got, you got, you know, Michael Douglas, he's got to, he's got to have sex. He's got to. (laughs) (laughs) Even, and even when he's not, uh, in erotic thrillers, he's playing characters who should be, because I was going to say, what a, what a year for Michael Douglas, because the other kind of, if you asked to name Michael Douglas movies, you would you might say this one, but the one you'd probably say first is uh, Wall Street, which also yep. also came out in '87, which is where he That's won his right. Oscar. Yep, and the the three I'm thinking like the other the other like third um, that I could think of Michael Douglas erotic thriller is Disclosure yep. with Demi yeah. Moore. Yep. Um. So you just it's just it's just wow. That's '87 through '94. I think he did those seven movies uh, or those three movies in those seven years. That were the like. other prerequisite in Michael Douglas's contract at that time was, uh, is this movie the paranoid fear of some MRA chud? <laughs> because mm-hmm. you look at all these movies, they're every bad faith internet dude's worst nightmare. Um, you cheat and the woman turns out to be crazy, hunts you down. Or uh, pregnant, or even pre- worse. Or pregnant. Uh, <laughs> d- disclosure, falsely accused of sexual harassment, which women do all the time from what I hear. Oh, yeah. Um, God. And then can, kind of an oddball that gets thrown in the mix, not an erotic thriller, but falling down, which is mm-hmm. the white guy really hates that America is changing movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Deeply weird movie. Um and the other the other goat is the director of this movie, um, who uh, most like the most famous movie he did prior to this would be Flashdance. Um, but then he did Nine and a Half Weeks, which is Mickey Rourke having sex, eating um, strawberries. Right? Um, is he eating strawberries on that one? Is, I is I've that, never seen it. Oh, it's 
you're failing us right now. I know. Is I that, told is you that this before or after he messed up his face from getting punched too much. Or did he get <laughs> plastic be- surgery? Which one was it? Both. I think it's before. This is him and Kim Basinger, just okay. lighting up the screen. Then he did Fatal Attraction, and then he later on did Indecent Proposal. Um, and then he did Unfaithful in 2002, which is probably the last big erotic thriller I could think of that, like, you know, I feel like tapped into the mainstream a little bit. And then, friends, am I excited? He has a new movie coming out this year called Deep Water <laughs> that not only is he directing, but stars Ben Affleck. I'm all in. Uh, I'm all two, in. <laughs> two of your weirdest obsessions. <laughs> So uh, is Ana yes. de Armas in it? Yes, she is. Oh my god! <laughs> really? Yes. Deep water, deep water, guys. So uh, it's return to filmmaking since so, Unfaithful so eighteen years ago. That's what's finally going to get you to risk going to a movie theater again. Going <laughs> <laughs> stra- stra- to strap your face mask on and make sure you're six feet apart so you can it's go just see mean, deep like, water. It's just me and like seven fifty-year-old women. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say dudes in trench coats. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, so yeah, the uh, the other thing is, it's interesting that this, you know, I don't think we're gonna go through the entire history in this episode, but like this is definitely the beginning of the peak of erotic thrillers, and they were very big for quite a while, at least like a good ten-year run, and then, I mean, mostly disappeared. I mean, I, I bring up that other one. Deep water coming up, but for the most part, these don't do very well. Um, and I think there's a lot of different reasons that we can explore why that is. But the only one I want to really explore right now is: doesn't this feel like a movie you guys said earlier that would never be made now? But can't you imagine this being a ten episode series on HBO that people would go crazy for? Definitely. Oh God. Pro- I mean, yeah, I think you're right. Um. It more likely it would be like uh, Showtime or something like that. Like I feel, I mean, not that HBO doesn't put out some stuff like this, but I, I just feel like this would be one tier down, where it'd be like I don't know, t- like TNT, like maybe would produce this. I feel like it. Yeah, I, maybe. Like I, I'm what, what that show was it? That show called Damages. Yeah. Um. Was Glenn Close in that movie, in that show? I think she was. Maybe that's why I'm thinking of it. Um, no, you know, th- this feels like a stars project to me. <laughs> yeah, it, I don't know. I feel like it would be higher end, and I think the reason I think that is part of the appeal of this movie and these and these erotic thrillers that really work is, like, Michael Douglas and um, Glenn Close and uh, is it Ann Archer yeah. as his wife? I mean, they're all really good in this movie. Like, is this material deserve those sort of performances? Maybe not, but they sure give them. I did. I did expect this to be a little campier than what it was. I it plays it straight, and I think that's the right choice. But I, I really was. I thought that it would be, to use a word, goofier. Like I thought it'd be broader. Especially, and, I mean, it's a bunny boiler, right? I mean, it comes from that term. I you mean, think yeah. This is going to be super Going into silly. it, all I knew about this was kind of like the basic plot outline and the bunny boiler and that end scene. I did not know the end scene, guys. I feel like, isn't there a movie where someone is watching parts of the end scene? 
I couldn't think of it, but they're probably, but I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I had, I was not familiar with it. I just knew the bunny boiler thing. I knew Glenn Close. I knew Michael Douglas. I knew, you know, um, but yeah, it's, I mean, everyone is, is it raises this material and even, even Adrian Lynn, the director, like puts a sheen on all of this that makes it all very cool and very professional even though it is i mean it's it's like a sexy melodrama i don't think i'm that as that impressed with the with the filming of it um and i don't think it's remotely sexy i would if i had to describe how this movie is filmed i would say competently Hmm. okay i think that's underselling it a little bit but i agree with fine it's it's not bad but it it feels very of its time. Like it looks like a lot of other New York movies of that time. That's my take. See, I found, I found the ending super tense and I would argue, is it the second best bathroom scene? <laughs> bathroom. <laughs> is it the second best bathroom horror scene or I don't know if horror bathroom, uh, trauma okay, scene. Well, obviously so... you're, you're putting psycho first, right? Or, yes, and then number two is Dumb and Dumber. I was gonna say Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> um, well, isn't there a Lethal Weapon two? There's a famous bathroom scene where Danny Glover's on a toilet and there's a bomb on it or something. Yes, that that's a good scene. <laughs> I'm putting that's that one above this I wasn't too. Thinking. Yeah, I thought this was really great. This is really great. I thought the well, you didn't. Was really great. I, you I, were the only person on earth that didn't know what was going to happen. Though. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's I mean, so and I. I Yes, guess maybe as, that's a point as, in your favor, though. As much as I thought it was kind of fun, I will... So I'll say this. I said earlier that the movie is not broad. I will uh, add an addendum that the ending scene becomes a little bit Friday the 13th-esque oh, for me. Oh, it's outrageous. It's, uh, Glenn I... Close has been drowned to death and is laying there for a good, I don't know, minute or so. <laughs> and and then does the Jason Voorhees pop up? <laughs> yes, cal- just calmly alive and still. <laughs> Listen, when when something goes wrong with our chickens, I'm not the one that goes out there and deals with it. I let the wife go do it. I get it. <laughs> may, may I say something that I never thought I would say? Go okay. Ahead. I wish Brian De Palma would have directed this movie because Ooh. he he would have he would have ripped off Hitchcock so much more shamelessly in the bathroom scene, and that would have. Not necessarily made it more original. Obviously, it would have made it less original. But it, it I, I would assume that scene is why it got nominated for best editing. And and I don't think the Academy Award for best editing is generally really a mark of actual quality. They they miss all the t- well. I mean, didn't Bohemian Rhapsody yeah. just win? <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, yeah. But it just it it's not quite there. And he is trashy enough to make a movie like this. But oh, also competent sure. enough to make to just to like take it from like the C plus that it is in craftsmanship and maybe raise it up another letter grade. Also, there's a good chance De Palma would have cast Nicolas Cage instead of. Uh, <laughs> That's Michael the other Douglas. thing is he would have gotten to work with good performers, and he seems to rarely be able to do that. I don't know why. So, so I I would say that I agree. Towards the end of the bathroom scene, it gets pretty silly. However, like while it's building up and when you see Alex through the mirror and stuff, I, I think that stuff's all very well done. And I was, I was, I was, um, I was thrilled 
for the thrilling part. You are of this erotically movie. thrilled. I think <laughs> the, the thrilled. ultimate the ultimate way it ends is really really stupid though. But mm-hmm. but I think you mentioned in the agenda you want to talk about the original ending, and I think that one is almost brilliant, but not quite there. But I'll let you so, talk so, about it. Yeah, so I think that's what like makes this movie, pardon me, so interesting is I find Alex the Glenn Close character fascinating character mm-hmm. and for all the right reasons and all the wrong reasons right like i i i've obviously she, glenn close i think is incredible as her um and i think the movie does as duff says plays it pretty straight even though it's pretty wild what's happening um but like the gender politics in this movie are on are <laughs> wild they don't are age wild. Well, folks <laughs> it well it doesn't it doesn't and it's and that's what i almost think it's fascinating because i feel like in 1987 you'd be like that was a strong woman character that didn't take any shit from anyone yeah and then you're like well yeah yeah but the message on this movie it is talks, ultimately <laughs> it talks very frankly about abortion <laughs> it does it does and there's you know i and, do and i she's... do love how his initial reactions oh don't worry i'll pay for it <laughs> yes yeah well he's 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 the bad guy in this movie and up, up to he's a point the villain yeah. and, and i mean she's terrible too but the the the, the problem, not a good match ultimately not a good match between the two of them no but <laughs> and that's why except for one thing the original ending is better because yeah. the 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 issue here is that if you're thinking about this in context of like the Reagan era, that it's always like the behavior of Glenn Close's character isn't in and of itself sexist. Like that's also the way like, you know, abusive and, and obsessive men behave too. Right. Absolutely. But the problem is, is that in that era and well after it, those kinds of parts only went to women. So like Mm -hmm. the natural implication is only women behave this way. And the Mm -hmm. other problem with this movie is that, in any every other movie almost every other movie of this era that's in any kind of like uh, one of the quote unquote trashier genres like thrillers or horror any woman that commits some kind of sexual infidelity is always punished for it but Michael Douglas mm-hmm. isn't punished like he has to spend a night in a hotel and his wife <laughs> yells at him that's and 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 also he almost dies but he doesn't actually <laughs> get <laughs> he doesn't get punished in the end in the long run right but with the original yeah. ending, they they almost get there. Do you yeah. want to? You can yeah. just say what it is, I well, guess. I yeah, mean. we'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to the original ending. Um, so the the original ending is um, so essentially like happens at the end of the movie. Which I mean, listen, <laughs> I know we hadn't seen it, but this movie is very old, and you guys already knew the ending. But essentially, his wife ends up being the one that ultimately kills Alex, um, and then it just shows them like back together and it's all okay. Even though like part of this, the plot of the movie is him admitting to her after the, (laughs) after the bunny gets boiled (laughs) about what happened. Um, and, and I think that's like a really interesting part of the movie is, is I like, I think your point is, is, is true, Joe. And in a lot of ways, Michael Douglas's character is the villain, but I kind of find what's interesting about the movie is it sort of switches as the movie goes on. Because at first, when they first meet, it is definitely Alex who is, like, the seductress, if you will, on mm-hmm. it. And he's sort of, like, nothing about his – nothing about what we've seen of him up until that point leads us to think this is, like, a serial philanderer that goes around and cheats on his wife. Uh, I don't know, because why does he go – he clearly makes a 
like intentionally goes up to the bar when they first have that discussion. Like he strikes me as a dude that's done this before. That's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. He does early in that movie, early in the movie does do that. Then they have their thing. And then it all like goes wild because she doesn't want him to go, which at that point makes it seem like she's the quote unquote bad one. But then once she tells him, tells him that she's pregnant and she kind of says like, you need like, this is, this is your responsibility. Like you can't just, you know, you have to acknowledge that this happened and that this is your responsibility as well. And the fact that he refuses to all of a sudden kind of it the other way. He pulled a Steve Jobs there. Yeah, he just tried to pay it out of it and, and get out of it and, you know, kind of had this thing of like, why does this got to happen to me? And her point is like, well, because we had sex unprotected. And and I assumed you were on something. That's yeah, I love that. Yeah. Well, we just I just assumed. And that's the problem with the movie is it it it's I think almost everyone watching it is just like, well, there's no there. She's lying for sure. And it needed to imply that more well, time had gone by to give at least some doubt about whether or not she's true. telling the truth. But because then later on, like right after that scene, he does like mention he 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 called the doctor and it was true. So it does it does oh, clear it up that. that it is true when he's talking to his his fat lawyer friend in the law library. But how would the doctor know? Well, he wouldn't. Still, wouldn't know if it's he's, his though. He's still the bad no. guy for, you know, violating all kinds of laws right there. <laughs> and oh yeah, I mean he breaks into her place. Like that's the other thing is he has like he pulls, escalating behavior. He pulls as well. a, a Liam Neeson and Nell. <laughs> he yeah, goes and breaks yeah. into her house. Yeah, he breaks into her house. He he breaks. He threatens her. Um, yeah, he does all sorts of things that are bad, but you're right. By the end of the movie, she's clearly the bad guy, you know, the villain, and he gets he gets with his with his wife. Now, the original ending of the movie, which Glenn Close really wanted to keep because she actually poured a lot into this Alex character, is that uh, in the movie, uh, Michael Douglas's character essentially threatens her and has a knife to her throat, and then he leaves it on the counter and walks away, decides not to kill her. In the in the original ending, she then takes that knife that had like his fingerprints, and he had already broken into her place and the whole thing, and she kills herself and leaves a uh, and leaves like a note, I think, or no, she makes it appear that he had murdered her essentially. Yeah, and then um, his wife finds that the tape that we had mentioned earlier, um, that she had sent him, and then uses that to like acquit him of murder, and then the last scene shows that she had like. So I, I mean, it's a, it's a definitely more interesting ending. It's definitely a less cinematic ending. It's well, way, it, it's way more nuanced, and it would have not tanked, but it would have severely hurt the success. I think. I agree. I don't know. I, I, I think like her winning in the end. I think like people would. I think people would have enjoyed that. Like not. I, I think it would have. Created a lot of talk, anyways. No, I, th- I, I, I th- would have. I would have just ended it with him going to jail. I think that's the best. I the agree. Best that's ending. the right thing. Yep. You don't need to have the I, wife seeing the tape and like you know getting him acquitted. And, so, and I don't even think that tape would get him acquitted. Like he heard that tape and then he went to murder her to keep her from telling his wife. Yeah. Me, right? There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of ways you could go with that. Um, I think that the end, the alternate ending is not the most subtle ending but way subtler than what's in the movie and i think it's more consistent with the rest of the movie too and i think that this is an age well it still matters but back then a movie like this word of mouth matters a lot and i think that that ending 
still would have I think the movie overall people would have still talked about but I think that the ending like you said gave it that cinematic pop and I think that's I I don't think that this gets the type of word of mouth that an R-rated movie in 1987 gets but I think a twist ending is can be just as great as like a like an action sequence like that and a great twist like like her killing herself and getting him in trouble like i think i think that would have been really cool but although i will say she doesn't really win in that scenario as much as he also loses well and she doesn't deserve to win either (laughs) no you know that's true i I, so i think just morally speaking they're both pretty horrible people and and then they get what they deserve well, he doesn't deserve to go to jail for the rest of his life. So for cheating on his wife. But so how do, how does the how does how does the old Hayes Code certify this then? Because they're both bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's it's. I don't know. I I liked it. I was I I was sad I hadn't like seen it ever, and it was it was I enjoyed I enjoyed visiting it. And like I said, I think the big thing is it establishes a lot of these tropes, and this is like the. This is like, you know, culturally, I would say, maybe basic instincts, probably bigger culturally, but at least like for at the time it came out, considering, you know, the, the, the best picture nominations and the, uh, and the, the box office take and the fact that bunny boiler is like a term in the dictionary. Like I find that all that to be pretty fascinating. I I Um, think that it's, I kind of think about how, if a movie is big enough i'll think could i find someone 10 years younger than me and 10 years older than me and ask them just hey can you broadly say what the plot of this movie is and i think that's true with fatal attraction like and indecent proposal yeah those are two in this genre that i think like everyone just seems to know what they're about yeah it's like even or at someone least they know scenes from them. Like at least like Basic Instinct's the other one. Like everyone yeah. knows. Like I mean, they're you know the Sharon Stone scene. I, I don't think it's any exaggeration to say both of these are iconic. Yeah. It it, it is a very 1987 movie, which is also just a delight. I feel like it's um, it's all right. It's no RoboCop. Uh, <laughs> oh, I mean, no, of course not. Like RoboCop is. I, I was just thinking of this. what's a very 1987 movie. Oh, to, to me, okay. RoboCop. Is a yeah, this movie doesn't have enough cocaine in it. Yeah. Okay. By the sp- way, speaking of partying, I really enjoyed the scenes of him partying with his chubby friend. Like, oh, yeah. me too. Like, it seemed like, and and I don't know if this was intentional. It must have been. It seemed like he had a really nice life and had a lot of fun with his wife and their friends and stuff. Yeah, I, I think it's intentional. I I do like that because, you know, at, whenever you see a gentleman in a move of a certain size and for all intents and purposes like you know it's the fat guy in almost every other movie there's going to be some type of broad humor he's going to be a loser or slapsticky and in this yeah he's he he seems to have a healthy relationship with his wife he has he parties he has friends he's not He's not treated as the butt of a joke or anything. The only joke is that he struck out with Glenn Close when he tried to say hello, and it turns <laughs> out that that's the best thing that ever happened to him. Yeah. So, uh, so a good on good on Adrian Lynn for you know not falling into the the funny sad fat guy trope. What what's what's funny to me about this movie is I can just imagine, um, you know, a couple who had uh, met 
uh, on Love Connection, and Love Connection <laughs> decided to pay for their second date, and they decided to go see Fatal Attraction. I could just imagine after this movie, like them sitting in the car and be like, "What'd you think?" and getting into an argument about like about like what Michael Douglas's character deserved. I could see this happening on this movie on like early relationships. Like, well, yeah, I mean, but I mean, he seemed like a pretty good dad, and like his his wife did all these fun things together. He just made one mistake, and she's like, he cheated on her. Like, I could just imagine this movie like creating arguments. <laughs> he does seem like a good dad though. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's the thing is everything about him seems for the most part like you know, it's not like he's outside of what he does, which is bad. He does a bad thing uh and is dishonest about it. Like it does doesn't paint him as like this movie at least doesn't paint him as like necessarily the villain, which is why I think it's so fascinating cuz I actually feel like it's a little more nuanced, which back to your point earlier Joe, like that's kind of what like you know, it does lose a little bit because it that that any bit of 1987 nuance it had falls totally apart. So, one, so we can have a fun bathroom scene. One thing I just thought of is this is how the Nick Nolte character in Cape Fear should have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I actually thought of Cape Fear a lot when I was watching this. Me too. I it has a lot of the same ele- uh, kind of elements of Cape Fear. But when you're describing how Michael Douglas, even though even though he is for at least the first half or so, he is the villain and the one who, Jeez. you know, his actions causes undoing. It's very Greek in that retrospect. Um, but still, and it's some of it is just because of whatever genes the Douglases have. He's likable, but <laughs> it's also it's also written in that, you know, yeah, he is. He's not. Uh, he's not the stereotypical Wall Street dad. He's, mm-hmm. He he does seem to have a good relationship with his wife. Prior. Yeah, they seem. To, in fact, in fact, it almost seems like I was. I had this in my notes. This movie in the first like half hour to like seventy five minutes in seems to imply. Look at the relationship improved because of this. Yeah, because uh. he starts giving in a little more to her on stuff. I'm like, yeah, let's move mm. out there. Well, because yeah, he's afraid. The... I understand, but like, it shows relationship like being in a weird so way. Is, is the lesson listen to women, believe women, Rob? Is that what you're saying? Well, I mean, that general that's a generally a pretty good lesson. No, but I'm saying like, is that what the actual lesson of this movie is until oh until no, the third I don't, act? I don't. I honestly think I honestly think the the lesson of this movie is like listen. Don't you go cheating, because yeah. this could happen to you. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna pose a question to okay. to everyone listening as well. Uh, bunnies, good pet or trash pet? Um, we'll let Rob go with that. So, as someone who has a chicken coop, um, a lot of times chicken coops and like little bunny hutches are essentially the same thing. You can just like combine them because chickens and bunnies will live together and they kind of eat the same things. And it's like pretty simple. Um, to me, they're a farm animal. They're not a pet. So to, to answer your question, are they a good pet? Absolutely not. I think that's an absurd pet. <laughs> it's at best. Like, uh, it's like a chicken type thing that doesn't lay eggs. <laughs> <laughs> it, it does. It does give out eggs once a year. though. Are you talking about a chupacabra <laughs> right now? <laughs> no, no. Chicken like just. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I mean, it's thing. nothing. Like, how is it in any way like? A ch- I, I, I see what I, you're saying. I guess I'm just saying. Uh, I'm picturing this weird animal. <laughs> it's a farm animal. It's not a pet. Uh, 
I don't think of it as a farm animal, but I not I don't think rabbits are good pets either. I they stink. They're would, would you take a would you take a rabbit to a vet? <laughs> I mean, would you pay to take if, a rabbit to a if vet? I, well, the thing is, if I had if I had a rabbit as a pet, then obviously I probably feel differently. But if I just found if I found a wounded <laughs> rabbit, I might I would take it to a vet. I think. I are they like loving as pets? I've never. First I've, off, sometimes they have those red eyes. I'm all out. <laughs> they have oh, they're vampire eyes. Mm-hmm. I'll say this: I would never t- have one as a pet, and it seems unappealing to me. But if someone wants me to hold a bunny, I'll hold a bunny because they seem really fluffy. I've so held one I, in a long I time. will. I will pet a bunny. Bunnies, though, are one of those. They're one of these animals where they look cuter from a distance. <laughs> uh, there's there's this and maybe it's just from storybooks and cartoons and stuff but things like uh, raccoons squirrels rabbits like you know from a uh, 20 feet away they look really cute but then you get up close and it's a terror show just so all tight ty- all yeah, types you of watched stuff monty on. python's holy grail too many times i think <laughs> We have bunnies in our backyard all the time, and uh, that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to – I don't consider them pests. I'm not going to run them off, but I'm not going to be like, what if we took one and kept it in a cage? No way. Seems, it seems also – it seems cruel. Like, unless you're going to let the rabbit run around your entire house. Yeah, most it seems like a lot of people keep them in a pen. And they're, they're like the yeah. world's horniest animals. So, <laughs> like, they're, yeah. the they're, the Douglas. Douglas. they're the Michael, the Michael Douglas, Douglas of pets. <laughs> I mean, if I had a rabbit, I would call it Michael Douglas. All right, that's a deal. Speaking of Michael Douglas, sir, I do see one more <laughs> item on here, which yes, I'm sure everyone listening was has been thinking about it the whole time and wondering if we'll talk about it. Yes, yeah. let's tell uh, us, Joe. Tell us about the, your favorite Michael Douglas <laughs> fact. What if? <laughs> well, you're implying I added it to the agenda, and I did not. But mm-hmm. I was thinking about it the entire time I watched Michael Douglas movies. Now. <laughs> At least a few time, different times I'll think about it. What What if I told you there's a way <laughs> to get cancer but find a way to brag about about it? Because <laughs> what is it, throat cancer? Is that what he got? Yes. He got throat cancer, yeah. Or, uh, th- yeah, throat cancer. He said th- his throat well, cancer even, was even, really tongue cancer. So here's cancer. the thing. There's a lot of layers to this story I didn't realize. There's a lot of hearsay and a lot of he said, she said. Um, so, but for all... For purpose of the show, let's say throat cancer. Okay. So okay. he he got the diagnosis. He's in a meeting with his publicist, and he's like, <laughs> "Well, I think we should tell the public, but let's. <laughs> Is there a way we could do it to make the women get horny reading about it?" <laughs> Also, is there a way to really embarrass your wife in the, <laughs> about how you I got mean, cancer? So, so let's cut to the chase. He essentially said that the reason he got oral cancer is because of all the oral sex he gave and it exposed him to HPV. King. Is that, is that- that's king. That's just a king move. <laughs> Guys, it's also important to note it is definitely not from all those years he was a smoker. <laughs> I'm not I'm not even kidding. Like it's like like every every time you look this up it's like Douglas who has also been a smoker and an avid drinker in his life like hmm so essentially, he apparently first noticed it because he was having um, soreness at the back of his teeth. So, guys, you know who to blame if that starts happening to you. The old ball and chain. 
Ma'am, <laughs> ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I can't go down there. I'm having mouth pains. <laughs> Michael Douglas. What, what, a, what a turn. Yeah, I agree. I kind of agree with you, Joe, that it's a pretty great thing to be like, well, you got this. What do we want to say? Well, I'm going to say I have it, and I'm going to tell him because I'm a giving lover. Yeah, let's just uh, – is there a way we could spin my cancer into everyone thinking I'm great at sex? <laughs> My whole career is built on. I need more roles to pay for this treatment. <laughs> um, I want to talk about the two taglines listed on IMDb for Fatal Attraction. Oh, I don't know what these are. Uh, one of them is on the other side of drinks, dinner, in a one night stand lies a terrifying love story. <laughs> that's not very good. Mm, that's awkward. Kind of old like. school, but it's not good. Here's the one I like. This is probably more hits to the the point of this movie. A look that led to an evening. A mistake he'll regret for the rest of his life. <laughs> I like the second one. That's better. Oh, <laughs> uh, so um, listeners, we'll be back uh, with another episode um, next week. On we're gonna we're gonna go backwards in time now. In the uh, in the uh, to someone that I thought Rob thrillers. would proclaim as the goat of erotic thrillers. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's it's it's. I don't think so. But this is when I last saw it was maybe my favorite <laughs> favorite of his movies, and I don't know what we're gonna think about it. And I'm I'm just I've, delighted. I've never to, seen it, but we're gonna watch 1984. I've, I've seen it once, and that's because Rob made me watch it. <laughs> 1984's Body Double by Brian De Palma. This is like an you know this is this is pre Fatal Attraction, so I don't think we're establishing yet all of the tropes. Of erotic thrillers, but we're beginning to get there. Who's um, in it? We got Melanie Griffith. Melanie Griffith is in it, um, and really no one else you would know, from oh, my okay recollection. Um, so I'm excited to to revisit this. I one thing I remember about this movie, and you know, listeners, you can watch it before we it comes out. Um, it has one of the weirdest sequences that I remember in a movie that you're just like, why is this happening right now? Um, and I can't wait to talk about it. So Body Double is our movie for our next episode. Um, listeners, as always, if you just want more, and I think, listen, if I get, if I go enough on this erotic thriller thing, I think we might have to choose another erotic thriller for our, our paid podcast. Uh, if you want to listen to that. <laughs> oh, I, I you know, already have. I think I've shared my idea with you, but it's a good one. If I have, um, I'll share it later. We want to do, uh, we're going to, if you will go to patreon.com slash the midnight boys for as little as $2 a month, you get access to our monthly episode, um, along with what we often will, um, put out, um, after dark content, stuff that doesn't make the final episode, which I'm sure there'll be plenty of during this series. And, uh, friends, I'm excited to just jump into this and, uh, a free podcast.com has been updated. So it should be easier to find and listen to these different episodes. We should, we should release these. If you don't pay for our podcast, you, we should release only blurred out versions of these podcasts, like scrambled <laughs> ones. <laughs> like put like a radio filter. Yeah, over they, it they have to turn on like their, their like pod static. player after midnight, uh, on spice and just watch the scrambled, listen to the scrambled version of this. <laughs> Oh, incredible. Um, All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. And we will be back um, next week with a new episode on our season six erotic thrillers. (laughs) 